One of the star attractions at this year's Mundaring Truffle Festival is Po Ling Yo. You might know her from MasterChef last year and, of course, Po's Kitchen on the ABC currently. Po will be appearing at the Truffle Festival Masterclass, which is sold out, but you can still see her at a free event on Saturday. She's teaming up with Emmanuel Mulua from the Loose Box for the Sweet Things cooking demo, which promises to be a lot of fun. Welcome to Afternoons, Po. Hello, Gillian. Lovely to meet. Lovely, to, oh, lovely to meet you. Lovely to no. speak to you. <laughs> well, it's a kind of meeting, and we will uh, meet at the Truffle Festival. Are you Are you excited? Is that something that you have have spent a lot of time with? I know your background is Malaysian. Yeah, no, you know what? I'm a complete novice and I'm just going as a sponge. <laughs> Fantastic. I don't claim to know anything about truffles and I'm so excited. I'm really, really excited and um, just uh, really excited to see, um, yeah, all these chefs, um, yeah, in their element with truffles. I mean, it's sort of one of those things that um, I think can remains quite a mysterious ingredient because it's sort of the flavor is very elusive and you it's it's hard to capture so um there's all different schools of thought on it so yeah it's going to be fantastic it, it it is very elusive and i'm a bit in this in the same boat as as you so i'm just dying to absorb as, as much information as i can about it and i've heard them described from a, as a, a range of uh, earthy ki- kind of and roast garlic and then somebody else said um socks and old sex <laughs> which <I'm always> <laughs> i tend to agree with both <laughs> <laughs> they're an amazing uh, little fungus yeah, they are. They are. And it's just, it's really interesting when you actually meet one, <laughs> come in contact with one. It's just this very humble little benign looking thing, but so much of a fuss is made over them, you know? Yeah, but they do. They do uh, I've, I've eaten them more than I've cooked with them. In fact, having just found out that tr- truffle oil doesn't actually have real truffle in the bottom of it, I have come to the sad realisation I've never cooked with them at all. <laughs> Your life. Yeah, no, it's just infused. Sometimes it, yeah. you can get it with truffle on the bottom, but, um, yeah, often not. not. They're, they are amazing little creatures. Now, your life has not stopped since MasterChef. You've got coming to the Truffle Festival here, and I hear you're up in Darwin um, for NADOC Week and, and got introduced to a dog that could peel a coconut. I have to ask you about this before we go on with oh, anything else. Oh, my goodness. I, yeah, I had so much fun in Darwin, and I have to say that top end of Australia just has such a different feel to it. It's extremely multicultural, um, and the thing that actually that I came away being um, sort of struck with the most is how much of the how much Asian culture is actually um, integrated into Aboriginal culture up there. I guess it's so close, isn't it? Yeah. I, I found that in uh, the far north of Queensland as well. So I, I assume it's just because the, the the two are probably a lot closer than the south of Australia. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I mean. In some of the markets that you go to there, you really just feel like you're in Asia, you know. It's just like the most unbelievable uh, Asian ingredients, you know, vegetables and also cooked food. But, um, yeah, it was just an amazing experience and fantastic to get away from freezing cold Adelaide weather. (laughs) I bet. And did you really meet a dog that could peel a coconut? Having tried to peel one, I would have thought impossible. I did. um, And she is so clever because... um, 
she was walking around with it and she leaves she leaves like a little ridge of it unpeeled and I asked her owner guy um what what that was for and she's and he said oh she leaves a little ridge of it so she can hold it in her mouth really easily and it's so she has um a good grip of it for her to toss into the air and break it and she actually you know drinks all the coconut juice and eats the flesh how completely gorgeous isn't that gorgeous? And you know what's really sweet is that sometimes old folk um, in the community will borrow her to peel their coconuts because it's just such a, you know, um, such a tedious task. And so, yeah, if they want to make a curry, she comes over and peels the coconuts for them. I imagine she's a very popular dog. <laughs> and it's just lovely. I mean, having watched you on a MasterChef and watched Poe's Kitchen, it's just um, you're clearly wanting to absorb as much as you can from other chefs and then share what what uh, you love as well. And one of my favourite uh, episodes of Poe's Kitchen was, was uh, you with Italian chef. I think it was Antonio Caluccio. Yeah, and Antonio talking Cal- about how to make this weird Asian <laughs> fake meat. Yes. It's such a weird thing, isn't it? And I guess the philosophy behind it is so against what it's actually trying to achieve as well, which makes it even more interesting because um, they go to – if you saw the little – um, passive from it, there was a little extract about how they get moulded into incredible shapes and that they go to great lengths, um, veg- these vegetarian chefs, to actually replicate or mimic a certain textures of meat. So you can sometimes cut into what is like you know, a mock duck and they would have actually stretched the gluten so that it sort of um, mimics those strands of meat that have been braised. It's, and it was inc- just, and yummy and and yummy. I yeah. guess it just absorbs because it's just flour and water, isn't it? And just absorbs yeah, the flavour yeah. of, of what's around it. Do you mind taking a call? We've got a listener on the phone who would like to ask you how to make a mutterbuck. Yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah? Hold, yep. Bear with us. Hi, Ro. Hi, Jill. Hi, Poe. Look, I'm glad you say mutterbuck and Poe goes, oh, yeah, like, because that was through my Anglo ears. I heard that when I was travelling in Malaysia and Singapore about 30 years ago. But it was absolutely delicious street food, like a, a wrap, like, you know, like sort of looked like an omelette, but I don't think it was. Have you got a clue yeah. about how to make it? Yeah, it is. Um, I've actually, I have to be completely honest, I've never made one, but I've seen many made before. And you'd be able to find... Um, recipes for the filling very easily but the tricky bit because it, the, the filling is just meat with you know spices in it so that's just mince cooked in a pan so it's like there's no um mystery to the method there but um the, the part that's sort of really interesting is the roti and what you're describing is not omelette at all it's a it's sort of a base it's almost like a really primitive puff um or phyllo rather and um I've actually got a recipe for a roti chanai on my website so if you look that up make my that and then you just it, so. no never mind well we'll put it on ours so hopefully Ro when um when your computer is fixed then you can have a look at that or, or try and get hold of a friend that sounds gorgeous Poe one of the things I was, I was reading um about you which really interested me was um was when you came to Australia as a child and you talk about uh, like a lot of migrants desperately wanting to shed things that make you different and I think yeah. um I think all of us have experienced that to such a to a small extent as children because it, it's such yeah. an important thing. But you the the food of your childhood means such a lot to you. It does. Um, it does because I think uh, in my early thirties, I sort of started to 
realize, oh my goodness, I, because I actually started to um, think about it more then because it's when you sort of start to really think about your identity and feel quite comfortable in your own skin. And did you hate and it when you were a child and you came to Australia? Did you just not want to know about, uh, did you want to eat Vegemite on toast? And Yeah, um, definitely. Um, when I used to, I remember the first, this is a good story, when I, I think it was the first day I was at school, I opened my lunchbox and my dear, uh, my great aunt who's lived with us her whole life, she thought, you know, I'll give the child her favourite dish, which was uh, chicken giblets and star anise and soy. <laughs> And I remember just dying when I opened my bo- lunch box. I just thought, oh, my goodness, I just need a sandwich right now so badly. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. Um, and um, That could be life and death in the schoolyard. Yeah. Garden. It got, the, the lunch box got shut really quickly, snapped shut, and I just starved that lunch. But, um, yeah, you do. You really do try and, um, you know. You want to camouflage yourself. You don't want to be different because it was – or I, I never really experienced much persecution. Like I was really well received at school but it was just you still feel different, you look different and you do want to just blend in. Um, and, yeah, cooking um, – when when I was looking through at, at some sort of – it was actually through my art I sort of realised – how not in touch with my culture I, be- I I had become because I started looking at Chinese iconography and I and I sort of use it quite whimsically in my art because it's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek play on me almost looking at my culture through the eyes of a Westerner because I find it just as exotic and interesting because I'm so removed from it. Um, and then I sort of started to think, wow, what about me is still really genuinely in touch with with um, my heritage, and the the strongest thing that I had was food. I mean, I I sort of the language I'm um, has is is like I speak the most horrible mangled Cantonese, um, and a lot of the sort of values I don't really uh, identify with anymore. And yeah, the food sort of just started to become an obsession and it was just sort of this thing that I had to sort of still hang on to my culture and just contemplating the many times where we've had family reunions and a lot of my cousins have grown up and were born here as well and they don't speak any Chinese and my grandparents just really sort of um, being quite sort of looking at us and thinking oh look at all these children that we can't even speak to anymore and then we'd share share a meal and um, it just has it almost serves as a form of currency of communication still. So that's why I sort of started to think, yeah, this is really something I want to hang on to. It's a beautiful, uh, as you say, a beautiful heritage, isn't it? And, and it just does bring, does it bring back memories? Do you have any memories of when you were still in Malaysia or was that, were you too young? No, no, no. I came when I was nine. Oh, so, so um, you have heaps. Yeah, yeah. And I do have lots of food memories actually. Um, yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a really legitimate way for me to sort of reconnect with where I've come from without denying that I am Australian. And I guess the beautiful thing about it is I'm having this, uh, joint experience of learning about my culture, but also wanting it, wanting to share it with the rest of Australia. Fantastic. Look, it's wonderful to talk to you and we'll see you at the Truffle Festival on the weekend. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Gillian.